Akwaba, welcome to Tichler Talks. This is a platform where I, Tichler, have conversations with people from different walks of life who share their thoughts and pass their story thus far. I hope you enjoy. Okay. <laughs> Sick. Um, so, welcome to episode seven of Tichler Talks. Today's guest is Safi Sol, who's the creator of Dear Brown Girl and a Recent Law Grad. Safi, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me on. A pleasure. Um, so the first question is, um, where's your family from? What's your heritage? Um, so uh, all sorts of my grandparents came to England when they were about 18, 19. Okay. Um, they're from a northern state in India called Punjab. Uh, both my parents were born over here. Um, and yeah, my dad's from around Sheffield. So when my mum got married to him, um, she moved down here. And then I was born and bred in Chesterfield. So, wow. Yeah. Oh, cool. So you're third generation then? Yes. Uh, do you know why your family decided to come to England? I think it was just job opportunities, to be honest. Um, a lot of people in the 60s were coming over from India, and I think at that time it was just seen as something that um, England had loads of opportunities and jobs going, and um, that's why I think a lot of um, grandparents that I know, especially of that sort of generation, did mm. come around that time. So, yeah. And um, how do you know how, how they found it when they came over? I think it was really difficult. Um, I think they faced a lot of things like racism um, and I think accepting in like accepting accept, uh, acceptance in society but also getting used to learning the language um, and stuff like that and I think that's why you find a lot of communities in places like um, Slough or Birmingham or Wolverhampton where right. that's where the jobs are so a lot of Punjabi people have um always gone there and I think that that's a place that you do see pockets of that in the country mm. so but I think that um my grandparents and my dad's side moved to Sheffield and there actually weren't that many Punjabi Sheff- um, families in Sheffield at the time okay. and I think they found it really difficult and I know that um when my grandparents moved to Chesterfield about 40 years ago I think they're one of the first like Asian families um in the wow. area so I definitely think that that was um a bit of a struggle for them because it must be must have been very isolating as well definitely i can yeah. imagine so i'm guessing you growing up then how what kind of stuff did they tell you to like to prepare you for such situations i think i think it's strange because growing up in chesterfield it's a very white town right okay yeah <laughs> um and i think that no one can really prepare you for um experiencing that as a child i think that it's very difficult um and i think that also kids especially if they've maybe haven't interacted with black or brown people before um it's something that maybe I don't know I think that I definitely found it difficult um especially growing up and being the only brown kid yeah so how was um, that in in my class I definitely found it quite difficult I think at the time maybe I didn't realize but looking back I think there were probably little things that um had an effect on my life that I didn't even realize um so I definitely think that such as I think this sounds so silly but I would get picked on for having body hair at like 11 because my hair was darker than everyone else's and it was something that was seen as like oh you're growing a monobrow or oh you have a mustache or little things like that that I definitely was singled out for for being brown um and maybe not looking like the rest of my peers so I definitely how do you deal with that as an 11 year old as well I think at the time I didn't really think it was racism or racist. I I think maybe I didn't understand actually what it was. Um, And I think I grew up thinking that Eurocentric beauty standards were the epitome of beauty. Um, And I touch upon that a bit on Dear Brown Girl. And I definitely think that's something now that I know is 
that's just stupid to have yeah. thought that. But I think when you're growing up in a very white town and all you see in the media or like brown people aren't really represented, mm-hmm. then you do start to think that way. Um, so I think that as much as, you know, this town is great and it's lovely, I do think that it's can be very small-minded at times. Because right. so. I know you said something about, um, somebody said to you, like, you're pretty for an Asian girl. Yeah, I would have that all the time. Um, and I think that it's such a backhanded compliment. Um, it's very much like, oh, we don't really think brown people are attractive, but, like, you're okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, you've made the cut. It's fine, yeah, you've made the cut. Um, so I think that I actually, at the time, would love receiving these kinds of compliments because I think I really distanced myself from um my heritage and my culture because I think I was kind of embarrassed about it I think growing up in a very white town and not being around um or in those pockets of big Asian communities I found it really embarrassing um and I wanted to really distance myself so I actually stopped speaking Punjabi for years I just would always answer back in English when family members would speak to me in Punjabi because I just it used to make me cringe so much. It sounds so silly, but Why? I just, you, I got embarrassed of it. And I think I didn't have the opportunity to truly appreciate um, my culture or growing up with two different cultures side by side. I think I just wanted to fit in with everyone that was white around me. So mm. that meant that I just felt so embarrassed. So when people would compliment me and be like, oh, you're pretty for an Asian or you're not, you don't really act Indian. I'd be like, oh yeah, like, I love that. I love receiving these kinds of compliments, right. but that was so silly and looking back on it because I just think that I wish that I'd just learned to appreciate my culture really early on instead of trying to hide away from it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, um, cause I think you mentioned something about how like you're too, you're too, um, too Indian for the white people, but mm. also too white for the Indian people. Yeah. So like, so, so where exactly do you then fit in that, all of that? Yeah, and I think that actually a lot of brown kids growing up in England will probably, or any other country outside of India, will probably say the same thing. I mm. think it's difficult, especially as a third generation immigrant, because your parents have been born over here. So you have grown up in a very like Western way. Yeah. But then you still have the ties and you'll never be a white person. You You have to, I think, appreciate your culture. And I think that definitely, but then on the other side, a lot of people within my grandparents' generation, they still expect you to sometimes act quite traditional. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's very difficult because in the way, the way that I might dress or act is seen as very Western to them. But I know that it's I'll, normal. it's, yeah, yeah. it's, it's difficult because you do, you want to appreciate your culture, but you don't want to be tied down by what is, I guess, is the restrictive parts of it and the way you should act and the way a woman should behave. Mm. Um, So I I think it's difficult trying to balance it or trying to find a middle ground where you appreciate it, but you're not trying, like trying to forget your Punjabi heritage. Yeah, yeah, it's really hard, but. So you said, I'm guessing obviously the older you got, you began to appreciate that more. So like in university, how was that then? Because obviously that's, it's more diverse than where you're from. So how do you deal with all of that? I think it was definitely when I got to uni that I started to appreciate um, my culture and my heritage. I think even in sixth form, um, again, I think I was the only non-white girl in my year. Um, And I think that that really had an effect on me as well. So I think that once I got to uni and I started um, 
being around um, people from other backgrounds and also joining things like the my university feminist society. Right. I think that's when I started to really get into more of these kinds of things because I'd always been interested in it um, and feminism and that kind of thing. But I think that it was difficult for me to really appreciate it at yeah. the time. Um, but yeah, definitely when because I got to Because what, uni, you were scared or you shied away or I think it, you just didn't know? Yeah, I think I was just trying so hard to fit in with everyone else at the time that I think I just didn't really want to stand out as much. But right. then getting to uni and realising it's okay to appreciate your culture and your heritage um, and actually embrace it rather than shy away from it, I definitely think that um, uni was good in that respect. Yeah, because yeah. I'm guessing obviously there are more people like you who are second or third generation. And definitely. so they understood your struggle as such and you could all, you know, mm. band together. Yeah, definitely. And I think that that's one thing that you realise that you get to uni and you meet other people like you and you start talking about things or experiences within the Asian community, um, especially with um, women that I've met at university in terms of restrictive... um, I think the way that women are supposed to act in South Asian communities is quite imposed on you from an early age. So I'd talk about these things with women that I'd met at university and it was great because it was like, you kind of live the same life that I do. You've yeah. had the same experiences and that was really good. And I think it was definitely quite cathartic in a way to just realise that I'm not alone in the way that I feel. Right. So, yeah. And um, how was uni in general? In general, like in terms of everything, in terms mm-hmm. of like your studies, your friends, your experience with it? I actually loved university. Um, I had a great time. It wasn't without its downs or um, the hard moments, but definitely think that I'm so glad that I went, I made great friends. And I definitely think that if I hadn't gone to uni and had, hadn't had those experiences, I'm not sure I would have set up Dear Brown Girl. Right. Um, and I think that university really gave me the opportunity to get involved in um, feminist societies and human rights things like amnesty. So definitely think that it was so beneficial in that respect and wow. also a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine, yeah, yeah. definitely. So could you mention that Dear Brown Girl, so what, what, when did that come about? What is that? Um, so it came about in, I think it was a few months ago now, in around April time or May. Okay. Um, I just set it up in lockdown. I think that it was something that I wanted to do for a really long time. Um, and I had so much time yeah, <laughs> during lockdown. Yeah. I think everyone um, had a lot of time to Definitely. work on this kinds of stuff. Um, and it's just a page I wanted to set up discussing um, the experiences for South Asian women Mm -hmm. um so things that are quite taboo in our communities such as mental health um domestic abuse but also really celebrating our culture as well and I know that um South Asia has really really diverse um communities and cultures Mm -hmm. but it was something that I wanted to speak about but um the receptions have actually been great and I think that people have been um really nice about it because I think I was nervous about setting it up at the time um but no I think like everyone's been so um great and supportive of it as well so because I saw um you posted about Jazz Jazz Vinder on the page yeah I'm guessing she's probably now one of your role models would you say yes definitely so uh, before we get to her what would you say did you have any role models growing up before you reached that stage Mm. I actually not sure if I'd have any in the media growing up as much but I would say more my mum um she got married quite young um, and then my parents got divorced when I was four. Mm. Um, but I hope she doesn't mind me talking about this, but yeah. <laughs> she got cut off from her family uh, for seven years. Um, wow. They weren't really supportive of the divorce of my dad and things like that. And um, they're a lot more traditional. Um, How did she deal with that being like... It was really hard. It was really, really hard for her. And it, 
And I think that it probably had an effect on me that I didn't really realize, but I think she was, she had to be strong because obviously she had a child. So to me, she's always been my role model because I think that the way that she dealt with being cut off by her family for so many years and having to navigate life on her own without any support, um, that's why she's definitely my role model growing up. How did you deal with that, the whole divorce? I mean... It's difficult because when you're so young and your parents separate, I think there's probably a lot of things that you don't process as a child. Um, And I do think sometimes it can come out later down the line in your life. But um, I think that it was difficult not seeing my mum's family for years um, and not really understanding why, because they weren't happy with the way that she was living her life. Mm. And I think that it's really difficult for children to understand, especially at the time when I was four, to know that and I think that maybe that's why I'm such an advocate for women's rights and um things like this and talking about stuff like on dear brown girl because you know like 18 years ago it was something in the South Asian community that's even now still but back then divorce was seen as something so horrific and right. one of the worst things that could ever happen in mm-hmm. your life and you were seen as an outcast or even shunned by the rest of the community and I remember people would always talk about my mum when she left my dad as if she was dead because wow. she'd left the community and when you leave you are gone like people don't contact you that's it um and people would always talk about her like oh she was so beautiful she was such a wow. good dancer and I'd be like she still is <laughs> like, wow. she still is and I think that it was so bizarre for me um to be four or five years old and people coming up to me at uh, weddings or parties and saying um and talking about her as if she was dead <laughs> so, what? So, I mean so, so how, how do you deal with that then as a kid because it's like well I've just seen my mom and I saw her again yeah. so like what's going <laughs> She's on still the same yeah um, yeah, it, w- it was hard, but I think that it must have been even harder for her. Um, I think that whilst it's hard on kids, like they're young and they can adapt quite quickly. But mm-hmm. for my mum, her family were her entire life. So I think that it it's so hard as well because the South Asian communities are, can be quite tight knit. Um, and your See, family yeah, is Yeah, so how do you go from everything. that tight knit to completely abandoning them? Yeah, and I think that maybe that's another reason why I really shied away from my culture because I just became so disconnected from it right that i just didn't want anything to do with it and so I i'm guessing obviously you didn't see your dad's side either i still see my dad and stuff which is great like i'm really close to my dad's family so that's good um they're still in chesterfield and right. stuff like that so but before when you were younger do you see uh, them? yeah okay. so um i've always been really close to my dad's family which is nice that's um good. but it's definitely more my mum's that they're a lot more traditional um, right. and they have quite backwards views sometimes <laughs> if oh. they watch this. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think that that is one of the reasons as well that I set up Dear Brown Girl because of the experiences that I know that my mum has had, but also so many women in the South Asian communities mm. when they get divorced or um, they live a life that they want to and they do get shunned by the community. I think that that's another reason that it's so important for me to like speak out about these issues if I have mm, the platform definitely. to do so. Yeah. Cause, um, Jasmine that you mentioned on your page, she's been yeah. doing that. Cause she, can you tell a story for us? Yeah. Um, so she is from Derby, I believe. Um, and she set up Karma Nirvana, um, a charity, um, helping women of South Asian descent with right. honor based abuse or forced marriages. Um, and I think she's got like an OBE or something from, um, the Royal Family. I don't know what it is. She's got some very good awards. Um, but basically she set up the charity because her, um, sister, well, Jasmine herself, um, was Did she run away from her husband or something? 
Pardon? Was it her sister who ran away from home? Uh, yeah, so well, she Jacinda ran away from home, and she's Punjabi like myself. And she was about she was going to have a forced marriage, but she ran away from home. But all of her she talks about in her book that all of her siblings had um, arranged marriages or forced marriages, mm. really. And um, her one of her sisters continuously tried to leave her husband, um, but each time she was always fi- uh, forced back to return to him. Um, and then her sister actually set herself on fire wow. to. Um, to free I think, herself yeah to free herself but I think her, obviously her mental health had got so bad and it deteriorated so much that that was the only situation that she mm. felt like she was in and from then Just Vinder set up the charity to help women um, like her sister, yes, sister. Um, and herself um, in South Asian communities so, so yeah it's what would you inspiring say the, yeah definitely definitely um, what do you say the differences between forced marriage and arranged marriage so I think it's difficult because I think a lot of people maybe think that the lines are blurred, but arranged marriages are when maybe your family um, gets involved um, or a matchmaker to um, find your husband or a wife. Whereas a forced marriage, it's very much that you don't have a say in anything. You're, you are expected to get married. Mm. Um, and the situation really can be quite awful. Um, and I know that whilst it's illegal in the UK, I don't think there's been that many convictions of... Um, people who've been involved in forced marriages mm-hmm. um so it's quite difficult because these things probably happen all the time but because they're not really spoken about as much it's very difficult for um that to be convictions for it so yeah, yeah. so because i'm guessing you probably might know some people who've had like forced and rage marriage mm. like how would you say they've um, dealt with their own situation it's difficult because it's very much a thing in the South Asian community that definitely more so back in the day, not as much now, but in terms of it's still alive at the moment, but it's something that you're expected to do. It's all about you protecting your family's honour and protecting right. the image of the family. So you can't say no because it's very much a blackmail thing as yeah. well. Yeah, you're guilted into it because it's seen as a very much, a, you do this for your family yeah. and if you don't, then... There's, there'll be consequences yeah because really. you mentioned like the the is it isn't it yeah. yeah like the like obviously it's the the honor of your family and whatnot. yeah how, like how wild how um how prevalent do you think that is to this day i definitely think it's still prevalent um i think that unfortunately whilst it would be good to say those kinds of things don't happen in the south asian community they mm. definitely still do um and i think that that's one thing that I think especially on girls, it's very much that they carry the family's honour. And if you don't get married or you don't do this, so you don't act a certain mm-hmm. way, then you'll bring shame on the family. Right. Um, and I think it's really hard because it is resting so much on the women in the family, whereas men are treated very differently in South Asian right. communities. Um, and it's really hard. It's really hard to, to deal with. And women are treated and held to a very, di- very different standard to men. Wow. Yeah. Like, can you give examples? What different standards would you say? Um, so in terms of the way that women should act, it's very much that they maybe should be traditional um, and not speak out or um, shouldn't wear, wear too much makeup, shouldn't wear revealing clothes, whereas men have pretty much been allowed to do the freedom to do anything. Th- freedom to do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that I've always found that very difficult to deal with and I've always questioned it. But... Um, it happens so much in like South Asian communities. I think that it's really difficult and it's it's frustrating right. because I just think that, especially in 2020, and um, people are starting to speak out about social issues a lot more and mm-hmm. become involved in feminism. And I think that 
it's difficult, especially for me to deal with as a third generation immigrant, that these things that have maybe been carried over from India and brought over are still here. Yeah. Yeah. So would you say, I'm guessing you wouldn't say you want a forced or arranged marriage? No, I think that a lot of people in my generation have started to really find their own paths and um, have like interracial marriages or um, that kind of thing. And I think that it's something to me that I've seen so many women in my family that have maybe had um, forced marriages that I would just never um, have wanted to go down that line myself or even have an arranged marriage. I think that I'd rather much (laughs) not marry at all (laughs) rather than have someone sort it out for me. Yeah. Um, but I'm obviously, so I'm guessing you want to find your own husband and whatnot. Mm. And I'm guessing there's no, is there a restriction? Like, would you say you just want to marry like an Asian person or you're happy to just see what happens? I think you've just got to see what happens. Mm. I think you can't really, um, tie yourself down to an ideal, I guess, of wanting to find someone. I think that a lot of people will just go for it to marry someone within the Punjabi community that I know of. And then... It, they're not exactly happy they're probably just doing it because their family have expected them to do so so right. I think it's difficult because a lot of people just end up really unhappy but mm-hmm. they just think well this is what's expected of me so I should just do it because I'm doing it for my family as well um, but I just think it just makes people unhappy so I would never want to put myself in that situation yeah. So, yeah. so let's say um, I don't know you're I don't know next year you bring someone home mm-hmm. it's not Punjab maybe a black white guy whatever mm-hmm. And you said, mom, dad, this is who I want to marry. Mm-hmm. And um, what do you think their reaction would be in terms of them personally and also like their your extended family? Um, my mom would definitely be fine with whoever I end up with. I think I haven't really thought about it too much with any other family member because it's definitely something that I'll cross the bridge when I get to it. Mm. Um, but I do know that it's sometimes seen as quite shocking if you marry outside of the community right. and you marry someone who's not Punjabi. But I think that it's something that I'm going to have to deal with when I get to it. Um, I mean, I can't predict how family members are going to act, Mm. but at the end of the day, I, that's what I try and talk about in Dear Braggen and stuff is that as much as you can love your family and want to um, support them and that sort of thing, it's, it is your life at the end Mm. of the day. And I know that it's very easy for me to say that growing up as a third generation immigrant and having gone to university and moved away from home. And I know that some women don't have the same privileges that I've had, but I definitely think that if I can try and live my own life and maybe show other women in the South Asian community that you can, you don't have to follow the path that your family have set for you, then definitely that's something that I so, try. I'm, obviously, I'm going to assume that um, you, so you've shown all your family and some of them aren't happy with that. I'm guessing you're still going to go through with the marriage regardless. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how it would... I don't know how it would um, I don't know how it would go or what would I'd be in the situation. Right, because so I'm, I'm just thinking, like, because obviously it's weird one because your community who's meant to support you regardless. Yeah. And if you're having a divorce and then distance you, which yeah. is questionable for a so-called community. Yeah. And now you're then trying to bring somebody new into the, into mm. like the community. Surely the yeah. community should be welcoming towards that person. Yeah. But obviously, if they really have, they want like their own kind of person for that. Mm. Then is that really a community? Would you say? No, I think that. The South Asian community is so hypocritical. <laughs> That's one thing I would definitely say. Right. Um, and I think it's really hard because it's a community, but you're very much dictated by what the community want for you mm-hmm. or what your family really want for you. Um, 
So I think that there's so many ideals imposed on women and the way that they have to act. Um, and it's it's really hard because men can get away with so much more. So I think that whilst I'd hope that people in the community would be supportive, I know that that won't be the case with everyone. Um, and I've seen that firsthand when I know of people who have married outside the community. Mm. So I think that it's definitely something that I know I'll probably have to deal with when I right. <laughs> when I get to definitely. it. Would yeah. you say it's more of a, a culture issue or a religious issue? It's culture, yeah. I think that's another thing that people maybe get confused about is religion and culture. Um, because my family are Sikhs, so Sikhism is actually quite a peaceful religion, I would say. Um, very much accepting of everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, it says on the first page of our holy book, I think... If, I might be wrong on this, but um, it says in there that men and women are equal um, and that regardless of sex, um, class, race, that kind of thing, everyone should be treated um, the same. But unfortunately, Punjabi culture (laughs) is very patriarchal um, and it has a lot of ideals that are imposed on women on the way they should act, unfortunately. So I Mm. think that while Sikhism is a a great religion I think unfortunately um Punjabi culture tends to dominate that especially over here in Punjabi communities right yeah and um also in terms of um people's mental health Mm -hmm. like how do they then deal with that because obviously if the community aren't really open about because I think you mentioned that there's not even a word for mental health Mm -hmm. in some languages so like how do people talk about that if they talk about it yeah there's no words for there's no real words for like depression um, or th- those kinds of um, terms in Punjabi, not that I actually know of. Um, and I think that mental health is seen as such a, th- um, a taboo, especially. So when you're imposing all these ideals upon people in the community to get married, because I should emphasize as well that it's not just women who get f- like forced into marriages, it can be men as well. So right. when you impose these things on children from a very young age, Um, I think it's very difficult because mental health isn't talked about in our community and I think that this is another thing that really frustrates me as well because you have so many people growing up that maybe need to um, access mental health services but it's seen as something quite embarrassing, it's seen as something that um, you've gone crazy um, if you're um, suffering with depression or anxiety or that kind of thing. so I think it is really hard for some people in the community and I especially think the older generations that came over here with no support mm-hmm. can speak the language and um, grew up with all these issues and maybe might have inflicted some of that on their children. I think it's really difficult for, for them as well. Old. Yeah, and I think that if you don't speak out about things, it's very difficult to get the help that you need. Um, so that's definitely one thing that I have spoken about in Dear Brown Girl because it's such an issue within um, South Asian communities. So I'm guessing, so let's say you have, um, you're going through something like you might be into depression. How would you personally deal with it now? 